This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Just jump right into the series, but I just have one announcement to make. So um, in church life, we have um, people moving around. We're so thankful for our staff who help uh, keep us on the right track, who tell me that I can no longer preach 50 minutes on a Sunday morning. Right. Amen. I heard, yeah, somebody there was here last week. Yeah, I get it, and I get it. It's true. Uh, but I, uh, we've just made a little bit of a change, um, and we wanted to make you aware of that. Some of you are already aware of this change. If you're a parent of a youth, you are aware of this if you are a youth. Um, over the last number of months, during COVID, uh, Pastor Gifty was amazing, and she was every woman. She was Shaka Khan. She did everything. <laughs> we couldn't have done it without her. That is a very true fact, because Dave and I are still 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock people. If you know about VCRs, you know what I'm talking. If you're young, just ignore that comment. Um, but we're so thankful for Pastor Gifty. But we knew coming into this fall that the youth was going to need different attention. One of our values is that we'd be next generation focused. And so we have released Pastor Gifty over the next while to be just the associate pastor doing things like small groups and life in the spirit. And we've invited Logan Johnson to be our youth pastor. So, Logan, would you just stand? Mm-hmm. So, now... Parents of teenagers, all the questions you have about raising your teenagers, getting them out of bed on a Saturday morning, just send them to Logan. He is really happy to answer all your questions, pray for your children, get their homework done, you know, things like that. But we are really excited about it, and we know that that God is with Logan. Would you pray for Logan as you're thinking about our church Because as a youth ministry goes is how a church goes. And I know those of you, maybe you don't, you have littles right now and this seems like a long way off. Shortly, Logan will be very important to you. So pray for him and pray that God would strengthen him. And we've had a kickoff to youth that's been great over the last couple of weeks. And we're just believing that that's going to be even better. Because we do know this, that every church revival that happens is led by youth. And so, Logan, we're praying for you and believing the best and... Yeah, it's a good day. It's a good day to be in church today, everyone. You look so, you can sit down, Logan. You don't have to stand. He was just making sure that I don't go 50 minutes today. He was just going to stand there and be like, nope, nope, you're not doing this today. Um, You look so good with all your blue shirts on. It's kind of fun that you've all, not everybody, but there's somebody around you, I'm sure, sitting with the blue shirt. Tell them they look lovely in that t-shirt. Because they are, they did have to wear a t-shirt today. A lovely one at that. Okay, so over the next last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean for us to live under pressure? How do we as God's people actually live here on this planet and live with the verses that say he is our peace? And like there's a scripture that says his peace that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Um, and, And then the question becomes, did Jesus actually mean that we would actually live out that verse here? on planet Earth, in North America. Like, have some of you ever thought, if I can move somewhere, like, a little bit more peaceful? I don't know where that place is on Earth, by the way, but, like, you watch documentaries about places. Uh, So the question is, how do we live here, right here in Calgary, right where we live with the peace of God? And um, one of the reasons I think that we have so much anxiety in our lives is I think most of us don't do particularly well with change. How many of you would say, I love change, just love it? Yeah, some of you. I I am kind of like a person like that. I I find it kind of exciting. Except for I realized when I really parsed this out, I like change that benefits me. (laughs) 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like when I think of it, I love cha- like I love the thought that um, I used to I used to live when Dave and I were pastoring in the inner city, and we had three bucks, like literally three bucks. I would always think, like, wouldn't it be amazing if I went to the church mailbox and there was a check in the mailbox for, like, a million dollars? Think about what, and I would think, I'm good with that kind of change. Anybody else? Somebody wanted to give you a million bucks today? I mean, a million bucks, sorry, it wouldn't take you very far. Like, the bare naked lady singing, if I had a million dollars, it would just be, like, five dollars now. But anyways, you could at least fill up your gas tank three times with that. Okay, so we're all pretty good with good change, but I would venture to say that most of us are pretty not so much good with, like, difficult change. And we know that because how we all reacted two and a half years ago, right? I I didn't really meet many of you who were like, this is amazing. What an amazing two years we're having. Praise God. No, most of us were like, when is this going to be over? And, um, and, And for most of us, uh, the change actually that we have to deal with, no matter what that change is, it becomes traumatizing for us. And we don't often admit that, but that is the truth. The vast majority of us, when we have to deal with change in whatever, um, whatever that change entails, we succumb to the pressure and we usually retreat. In fact, even good things can happen to us. You can have a new baby or move to a new house, and even when it's good, sometimes that change causes us to live under pressure, and we can no longer live with the peace of God. What's amazing about Scripture is that it lays out people's lives um, in these, in almost every circumstance, like in extraordinary circumstances, and then also very mundane circumstances. And in this series, what we're trying to do is look at stories in the Bibles, maybe some of the stories that you've never read before. Maybe some of you are here and you've, this is like your first time in church. And so what we really want to do as a church is actually get into the Word of God and ask ourselves, what is this story? How does this story actually help me to live? Okay, so we're going to look at a story found in 2 Kings chapter 2. If you have a Bible on your phone or you still carry a paper one, uh, you can get it out and it's going to be on the screen and behind me as well. Okay, here's the story. We'll read it. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha said. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went on to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha says, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not be. 
As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire, horses of fire, appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then, they took hold of, then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Okay. So this is this like really weird, obscure little story about Elijah and Elisha. If you don't know this story of Elijah and Elisha, Elijah was like the most powerful prophet that Israel had ever seen up till that point. In fact, fast forwarding thousands of years, Elijah is still the most powerful prophet that the Israelites had ever seen. Okay, he was doing all kinds of wild stuff. He was making like, uh, he was stopping the rain from falling. He was making fire fall. Like he was, if you think of a powerful person, this was Elijah. Okay, so now he finds this little mentee in Elisha. Now, I don't know if he was little. We only know that he was bald. If you were bald, you can, you can really identify with Elisha. We do know. You can read on. It's a really weird story about Elisha's baldness. Anyways, Elisha becomes Elijah's mentee. And Elisha actually has to, the Bible says that he has to burn all of the things in his life. Like he's not allowed to go back to his life. He has to burn it all up and follow Elijah. And then subsequently, in a few passages later, Elijah's taken from him. So, okay, so I want you to put yourself in Elisha's shoes right now. He's burned up his whole life to follow Elijah. And a few minutes later, not minutes, but like not very long, this whole world is taken from under, and he's by himself again. Elijah was quite possibly Elisha's closest friend. It was his mentor. Now, if you know that your closest friend and mentor is going to be taken from you, we could assume that Elisha's facing some stress, right? Have you ever had impending um, change happening? Like, you don't know when the change is coming, you just know it's coming, like, do you, uh, in 2016, the years of all the layoffs, I know some of you experienced this, and you'd get to work, and they'd say, 118 of you are going to be laid off. We're not telling you who it is. Enjoy your day at work. <laughs> some of you, it's like nervous laughter, because you remember those feelings. You'd be like sweating in your cubicle, like, is it going to be me? If you've never experienced that, you probably never want to. But this is the kind of feeling, it's almost, would you not agree with me that it's almost worse when something's going to change, but you don't really know how it's going to change? Like the dread that comes over you is like, if you've ever moved before, when Dave and I made a big move from Ontario to Alberta, I can remember a few weeks before saying to Dave, like kind of a big baby, I don't think I can do this. And Dave was like, we're doing it. We've already packed all the boxes. We are doing this. But it was the feeling of like, I don't know if I'll like make friends. What if everybody rejects us when we get out here? What if I have to wear a cowboy hat and I have a big head? <sighs> like impending, once I got here, it was, it was fine. It was like the impending feeling. Okay, so I, I need you in this moment to feel the impending stress that Elisha would have felt. And it's not helpful that his friends are saying, hey, by the way, your mentor is going to be taken from you. Uh, like, not once, but twice does this happen. And biblically, sometimes we read this and we think it's the same person saying it. No, it's two groups of people saying this. Um, do, you, do you know what generally we want to do when there is impending change about to happen? One of two things. We want to throw a pity party, number one. Some of you are very good at this. I will admit to you, I am very good at this. I am an expert. If you need a pity party thrown, I'm your party planner. 
Or, conversely, we throw a pity party or, or we try to take control of the situation. Some of us, we don't throw pity parties. What we do is we, get, we roll our sleeves up. We're going to control the entire situation. A pity party sort of looks like, why is this happening to me? Looks a bit like a fetal position, really. And um, how is this fair? And I, why, is, why am I the person that this always happens to? Okay, so I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of myself right now, okay? That's why I'm good at that voice. And, and looking like we're controlling the situation results in us being extra bossy with everything and everyone around us, dictating to everyone uh, what they're to do or to believe. By the way, this is how cults start. It's usually a form of control. Somebody feels like, ah, uh, they can't take the change that's happening in the world, so, so then what they do is get on the control. If you were thinking of starting a cult, don't, don't do it, but I'm saying this is how it happens. And they try to dictate to everybody what they will believe and how they're to believe it and how they're to walk it out. And, and you can kind of see that this is um, what's happening in the scripture. Disclaimer, uh, people will always try to get you to have a pity party with them. So if impending change is happening, for whatever reason, it's natural and human uh, for us to try to get people to engage in our pity party with us. Um, because there's nothing better than having somebody to commiserate with, yes? <laughs> like, things are really terrible, let me just commiserate with you. And you can see in the scripture that this is exactly what's happening. The prophets keep saying to Elisha, I hope you know Elisha's gonna, Elijah's going to be taken today. And um, I, I love e Elisha's response. I know, be quiet. Okay, so, I would like to give you a short Hebrew lesson here. <laughs> Um, the words, I know, be quiet, it sounds nice, right? Like you'd let your children say that, I know. It sounds a little bit rude, but it's not super rude. But in fact, basically what Elisha is saying is, I know, shut up. I'm sorry if I've offended some of you. I'm just telling you what the Hebrew says. It's, it's fairly strong here. He's not just saying to the, him, like, oh, that's nice. He, he acknowledges, yes. This is what's happening. I want you to remember this, though. The people breathing into Elisha's ear were not bad people. They were prophets. They were prophets. They were people that God used, and yet they were still trying to commiserate, get him to commiserate with them in some kind of pity party. And Elisha's response, listen, is a great template for all of us to follow when we're in the middle of change. Elijah doesn't deny it, but he also doesn't entertain it. And this is so important for us to live by. He doesn't deny it, but he doesn't entertain it. Some of us need to take a lesson from Elijah. Some of us, in order to quell the anxiety, so this is what some of us do. When change is about to happen, or when we're in a hard spot, in order to quell our anxiety, what we do is we stick our heads in the sand. We're head stickers. I have, I've had a lot of bad bowl lickers last week, head stickers this week. I don't know. My preaching is brought to you by bad sayings. But some of us naturally, what, what we do is we just, we stick our head in the sand and say, well, that's not happening. So your, your marriage is in a bit of a ditch and you'll say, things are great. We haven't talked to each other and we've been acting like roommates for the last six months, but things are great. We think that by denying something, We'll make it better. But this is not the way. And then we wonder why we're under tremendous pressure and why we're dealing with tremendous anxiety. 
We must be people like Elisha that, that don't deny. He didn't deny that Elijah was going to be taken from him. Or some of us, we're, we're, we're plowing ourselves into supernatural debt. It's not supernatural. It's just super awful. And we think, it's okay. We're okay. <laughs> and you know, when you get the mail or you don't get the mail for like, have any of you done this before? I'm just not a mail getter. It's because you don't want to look at the visa bill. That's why you're not a mail getter. Or you get the bill and you put it on your thing. You think, I'll open that when I'm ready. <laughs> You'll be ready after Christmas. Right? It's called heads. It's called sticking our head in the sand and not dealing with reality. Or, or like, by, by the way, this is how we morally go off the ditch too. No, nobody signs up to say, you know what? I got married, but I think I'm going to have an affair. No, no, what, we, what we've done is we stuck our head in the sand with how we're behaving. We cannot deny what's happening. But we also, on the other side, can't entertain it. What's amazing here is that Elisha says, I know they're taking Elisha, but he doesn't get into, and what are we going to do? Like, I mean, I think this is going to be awful. I don't think we're going to be able to make it. He just says, I know. So be quiet. What we, can't, what we have to learn is not to entertain some of the disappointments that are happening to us. And, and entertaining it means we wallow in worst-case scenarios. And um, dreaming up the worst-case scenario will never get us anywhere. It's never going to get us anywhere. Except to a path to driving into your worst nightmare as a self-fulfilling prophecy. When we're in the midst of change... We can't deny, but we also can't entertain. Hey, let me just put it on the ground for you. So when, when, um, when we came back after COVID, um, people would say things like this to me, and not any of you, just other people, uh, would say, hey, the church is a lot smaller than it used to be. Do you think anybody's ever going to come back? Well, so like I, I could have had the choice to go. Well, and like sometimes I wanted to say, I don't know, this might be the worst I don't know, like maybe we'll just I sell the church and meet in a town. I didn't know. What I had to do actually was say, I know. I know. I'd never told any of you to shut up. <laughs> I tried to keep my job. But I had to in myself. I couldn't get to the worst case scenario. I had to be able to say, devil, I know that you're coming to discourage me, and I'm, I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm going to square my shoulders back. I'm going to live in reality. We're going to live in actual reality. I know, I know, I know. But now I'm going to ask God to breathe something new. Now I'm going to ask God to give me a vision like I've never had before. Now, so, so like some of you, your, your marriage is in the ditch right now, and instead of saying, like, I wonder what it will be like, to, to get, have a divorce or you need to say, I know we're in a bad spot right now, but God, I'm asking that you would breathe life on us. I know I'm lonely right now, but God, I'm believing that this is not where I'm going to be five years from now. We have to, we, we can't deny what's happening to us right now. We need to say, yes, this is squarely where I'm at, but I'm not willing to stay here. I'm not entertaining. Some of us need to get a shut up in our spirit. We need to get a shut up in our spirit when the enemy comes to you and says, you can't do it, you'll never do it, you'll never be the spiritual. Listen, some of you have decided right now and here and now, I'm just going to quickly leave church because I came today, I didn't know it was open house Sunday, and I feel like I'm going to be tricked into joining a group. 
I'm not getting a donair. I'm going to McDonald's today. Frequent user of McDonald's. You have to actually, I've been hurt at church before. I've been hurt by people. Well, you can entertain that, though, and you can say, like, I'll probably be hurt a thousand more times, and I join a small group, and people will stab me in the back, and it'll be the worst, and I'll never have any friends, and people will know all my trash, and then they'll probably put it in the newsletter. They'll put a picture of my face in there. And everyone will hate me, and I've made mistakes. And blah, 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 blah. You can entertain it, or you can say, no, nope, I've been hurt in church before. But I'm not deciding to live there. I'm going to live over here. You're going to need to get a shut up in your spirit. You need to get a shut up. And when you get out there, you got to find. You got, mm. <sighs> I know some of you, for some of you, shut up is a swear word. I'm sorry if your children are here. It is a swear word in my house too, but my kids aren't here. And the Bible says it, so. So he shuts down the speculation. Shut down the speculation, that negative speculation. But what he does next is quite remarkable. Um, he just carries on with Elijah. He just, he just keeps going with him. He knows he's going to be taken with him, and he keeps, he keeps going. We're told that the company of prophets stands at a distance. There's some really important language here, that the company of prophets. So Elisha, by the way, was a prophet just like everybody else. He didn't have like a special, like no specialness about him at that time. And he keeps walking with Elijah, and he and Elijah have this conversation. Elijah, Elisha, Elijah says to Elisha, hey, basically leave. Leave me alone. And Elisha says this, as surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. And he says that a couple of times. It's like over, when you see stories like this in the Bible and the refrains happen more than once, that's a key for you in Bible study to go, what is God saying here? And this um, language in, in biblical terms, in theological terms, this is called clinging language. And clinging language happens in Genesis chapter 2 when God creates Adam and Eve and he says, hey, you're to cling to each other and not to other people. And it also happens in the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth chapter 1, the Ruth is a small book in the Old Testament. And it's this story about how Ruth stays with her mother-in-law even after her husband dies, which was not normal in those days. And in this story, um, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, her, I guess, ex-mother-in-law, says, hey, listen, Ruth, you can leave. And Ruth says, no. Um, Ruth says, don't press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Do you hear how the language is clinging language? It's similar to this Elijah-Elisha story. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well. Okay, so these stories are very similar. Elijah is telling, just like Naomi was telling Ruth, get out of here. You, you can go. And both of them say no. They use clinging language. Um, and so what do we learn from that? I, I would say it's this. That in the midst of impending change, so for both Ruth and for Elisha, major change was about to happen. But in the midst of impending change, both of them chose to stay close to the last thing they heard. And this is really important. When we're in the midst of impending change, some of us, what we want to do is like, like take off. Right? Because it feels a bit hard. Like, I think what I want to do is just, like, retreat. And both Ruth and Elisha, they do not retreat. 
Instead, they put their shoulders back and they keep walking, even when they don't really understand what's happening. I, I want to I wanna call all of us to continue to be people that walk even when it's difficult, to be, continue to stay the course to what God has called us to do, even when it's hard. Beth, I was thinking this week, so one of our small group leaders is Beth Sheba, and, you know, a couple, if you watch our Instagram, just a little plug for our Instagram, we're trying to get to 1,000 followers, you can help us. Anyways, um, this week, her story was a bit on, uh, on Instagram, and I know a little bit of your story. You tried to start a small group, like, many times. I'm going to say a billion, but that's an exaggeration, a real, real exaggeration. Um, she tried to, and, you know, a couple times, nobody came to your small group. It would have been really easy for Beth to go, you know what? I'm just done with this. The people in this church are weird and everybody hates me and I'm going to lay down cry. But instead she didn't. She just kept at it. And the last time she ran a small group was amazing. Like the ladies in the small group cheer for that. There's, you know, there's a bunch of you who are quiet right now. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, there are people, yes, yes. Made a difference for them because she just carried on. Sometimes when things don't work out for us or like we're not getting the outcome we want, we just go, oh, you know what? I just think this is not a place for me. Or like, The Bible is really clear that we would just continue to cling to each other. In this day and age, the world is looking for people that actually cling to each other, that use that clinging language, that say, you know, I, this, you're going to be my God, and this, these are going to be my people, and I, I'm, I'm just going like, to do life with you. By the way, by the way, just as, how you end something is as important as how you began it. This is a biblical, this is a biblical, how Elijah ended his time with Elijah was as important as how he began it. So as he's putting one foot in front of the other, Elijah finally asks, like, and they're going all over the place geographically. This is like the funniest story. They're not just like going to like, hey, I'm going to 7-Eleven. They're going to different cities. Like they're walking all over the place. And it's not until they get to the third city that Elijah finally goes, hey, what do you want, man? And um, Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And this is uh, really, this is a big ask. Because up to this point, Elijah has been Israel's most powerful prophet. Now, uh, you might have heard it preached before that he was trying to get double the amount. And in fact, he wasn't. Theologically, uh, Elisha's ask comes from a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 17 that says the firstborn son must receive a double portion of his father's estate. And um, what, what Elisha is asking for, he's saying, I, I want to be, be your heir. He's not actually asking to be like doubly as powerful because that's weird and kind of superhero-ish. Because uh, God, by the way, this would line up scripturally that God is no respecter of persons. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, dwells in me. He's not like, and I like this person better, so you get better gifts. And, you know, you're sort of like a three out of ten, so I'll give you a little bit. Sometimes we read stories like this and we think, well, I guess Elisha was like more, I guess God just liked him more. And, he could, and we pray weird things like, God, give us a double portion. This is why we actually have to exegete the scriptures properly. So Elisha wasn't asking for double. He was just saying, can I be your heir? And um, what's weird, as I was thinking about this, generally speaking, when I'm under pressure of any kind, or particularly when there's impending change, I go into, like, battery-saving mode. 
where I don't really ask for anything too big, because like, I'm under pressure here, man. I can't ask for anything big. Elisha is actually asking for the biggest thing he could have when he is under major pressure. Some of you need to hear this today. You're under major pressure and you've stopped asking God for anything. You've stopped asking God for like more of his spirit or like he would visit you in a powerful way. You've stopped asking for miracles in your marriage. You've stopped asking for miracles with your children. You just like stopped asking. You've gone into battery power mode where you can't do anything except for tell the time. It's for some of us, that's what we're doing with our spiritual, t- spiritual lives. We're just putting in time. And this scripture reminds us that in the middle of difficulty, we got to ask God for big things. Some of you, I, I want to encourage your spirit to believe God for big things this coming weekend. To believe that God could revive you. To believe that you could like, go back to the place where you once were with God. Some of you have never encountered God before. You've just been like hanging out at church and you think he could never encounter you. I, I want to I I beg you with every part of my being to say, could you believe God for big things? Could you believe him to heal you? Could you believe him to do something extraordinary in your life? This is exactly what Elisha does. It's like terrible, no good story. Elijah's going to be taken. His best friend and his mentor is going to be taken. And he's still saying, no, I, I want a double portion. I want to be your heir. And when Elisha asks Elijah for this, he responds in a very peculiar way. He says, listen, listen, Elisha, you've asked a big thing. Here's the deal. If you see me when I'm taken, you can have it. And if you don't, nope. Okay, so this is where we read the Bible, and we just go, oh, yeah, that's normal, because they wear robes. People in the Bible wear robes, so they also said kind of mean things. Like, does any of you read that and think, what? He has been, he has walked from Bethel to Jericho, and now they're somewhere else? And, like, the guy says, listen, if you see me when I'm taking, you get it, and if you don't see me, you're out of luck. This seems mean. I mean, this, some of you are tough parents. This seems like the worst, toughest parenting. It seems like, you know, that show where you send your kids to jail, and it's like kind of abusive. Yeah, scared straight, exactly. It seems like scared, I'm going to scare you straight, kid. You better watch me. Though. What is going on here? I was actually very perplexed by this, and I'm reading all the commentaries, and no one's mentioning it. No one, this is why when you're reading your Bible, you've got to ask questions about the text. You've got to read it and think, that seems weird. What is happening here? When I was studying for this, so I was in a particularly, um, you know, it was the summertime, and you know, Calgary in the summertime, you're all camping, so you actually don't know. Um, But yeah, it was difficult season. And God just whispered, this is what I think was happening here. He just whispered this to me. In the midst of uncertainty and doubt, God didn't want Elisha to miss out on what God was going to do. He could have kept his eyes on all kinds. He could have been worried about the prophets that he was now going to have to lead. He could have been worried about. But instead, Elijah said, you keep your eyes on me. You keep your eyes on me because God is about to come and visit me. Some of us have got to say, God, I, I'm going to keep my eyes on you in the middle of this change, in the middle of this uncertainty. It might not seem like anything is happening right now. But even when we can't see it, <coughs> God is working. in the midst of uncertainty and stress. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. 
And this brings us back to the first message in this series where we talked about the way that we grow in patience, the way that we actually live under pressure is by watching and waiting, waiting and watching. Because God is always working, giving you what you need to be sustained. What's interesting from this story, we didn't read this section, but if you read on, and I encourage you to do that this week, Elisha actually sees the chariots and the whirlwind, which was the very presence of God. Come and take Elijah. And he knows that Elijah is gone. He knows that he's gone. But the company of prophets who were standing from a distance clearly weren't watching. Because after Elijah's been taken, they're like, okay, Elisha, we're going to do like a big, we're going to do a big search for Elijah. We're going to like, and they go, the Bible tells us that they go all over the place looking for him. And Elisha's kind of like, well, I know he's gone, but whatever, you do you, boo. That's basically what he says in another paraphrase. And what's interesting about the end of this story is that it is very clear that Elisha is grief-stricken. We ended reading the text where he tore his robe. This wasn't just cultural appropriation, although it was cultural. They did a better job of grieving. But he was grief-stricken. And it just tells us that there's no shame in grief. Some of us are still dealing with some of the grief from our lives over the last little bit. No shame in grief. But we do know that in his grief, in his grief, he begins to walk in his destiny and his purpose. He takes that coat from Elijah and he rolls it up and he hits the water and the water parts. So you might be in a little bit of a hard spot right now. Great. Doesn't mean that you can't ask God for big things. Doesn't mean that you can't begin to walk in your destiny and your purpose. Just means that you're in grief. And there's no shame in that. No shame in that. Today I want us to do a little bit of thinking about maybe a season of change that you're in, that you've entered into in this season. Maybe it's not unexpected change. Maybe you just finished university and you're looking for a job and you know that it's change or maybe your kids have flown the coop and now you're like dealing with an empty nest and there's change. Maybe your kids have become teenagers and there's change in that. Maybe, maybe your job has changed. Maybe your group of friends has changed. But nonetheless, you find yourself. The, the thing about being a human is that most of us find ourselves in seasons of change most of the time. It's a fun thing about being a human. It's a good thing we all signed up for it. But for some of us, it has caused us to retreat. Some of us have retreated for days or weeks, for months. And you feel so unsure of the ground around you. With all the gentleness that I can speak to you as a pastor today. Instead of retreating, I believe that God is calling us to stand in the middle of the change and the disappointment. And to look for God in it to keep our eyes fixed on him. I mean, you might have to walk to Jericho, to Galilee, to all the places. But I can speak this to you, that God's very presence will come if you'll keep your eyes focused on him. If you'll look for him, even in the midst of your disappointment. 
And in these moments, we must contend for something greater. I want to implore you to contend for something greater in your life. It doesn't take the grief away. It doesn't take the disappointment away. But it's certainly a sign that God is with us. I always thought that when when we were Christians, what it meant is that God would like steer us so we wouldn't ever have to deal with disappointment. Unfortunately, I started reading my Bible and realizing that, that well, God didn't say to Elijah, okay, fine, Elisha, I won't take Elijah now. No, 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 he had to like bear that grief. But I do know that God was with him in the grief. You just bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today. Maybe this is your first time in church. And we're so glad that you're here. We want to be a safe place for people that have never, ever been to church before, never experienced a community in, in where God is. We want to give you an opportunity to know this Jesus who wants to walk with you through difficult things. And part of the way that we do that is just by saying yes to Jesus, by saying, yes, Jesus, I, I believe you. I believe that you came and died for my sins. It's amazing that the Bible shares with us that all we have to say is yes to him. And maybe you're here and you just need to say yes. Yes, Jesus. Maybe you've been coming for a long time, but you've never said yes to Jesus. Right here in this place, I want to call you to say yes. If that's you this morning. I, I want to pray with you. I don't want to point you out, but I do want to pray with you. Be anybody that would say yeah. Yes, Jesus, I want to say yes to you today. We just pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your presence that's here. For the person that's here today that's never said yes to you before, I pray that you would cause them to have courage to say yes. Yes. Romans 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God's raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. This is the call to every person, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. Others of you are here today and you're in the middle of change and you're feeling the pressure of it. I want to pray for you. If you're here today and you'd say, yeah, Jess, I, I, I'm in the middle of change and I, I, I either got to look at it squarely in the eyes, I got to keep my eyes fixed on you. Whatever it is, you would say, yeah, I, I need prayer this morning. I, I want to pray for you. If that's you this morning, can you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Yep, 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 all over the place. Yep, nothing to be ashamed about today. Just say yes to him. So God, for my friends today, they're dealing with change. They're under pressure. I pray in Jesus' name that you would come. And you, for, for some of us, God, we need to shut up in our spirit. I pray that you would give that to us. Others of us here, God, are, are just feeling like we stopped asking you for big things. I pray that you drop whatever those big things are that we need to begin to ask for. You drop that into our spirit now that we'd have the courage and the faith to believe you for it. <laughs> Jesus, thank you that you are with us in the, middle of, in the middle of every change we go through. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you walk with us. And even though we have grief, God, you stand with us in the middle of it. We bless you today, Jesus. There is nobody like you. I pray that you give us courage now to connect with one another. I thank you that the same spirit that is in this auditorium will be with us 
as we eat donairs in the parking lot. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.